Welcome to Craft Talk. I am Zachy Shemish. In this podcast, I will explore different topics. Anything from martial arts, self-defense, trauma recovery, and personal growth. All through the lens of Krav Maga and my experience on the mat working with thousands of people. In each episode, I will share expert insights, practical tips, and inspiring stories. If you're looking to take a deep dive into the world of self-defense and self-growth, this podcast has something to offer you. Today, I have the honor to host Major Sagid Ovev, the head training officer for the Israeli Defense Forces Elite's Commander Unit. He specializes in Krav Maga and close combat for special ops. Sagi is the highest-ranked Krav Maga instructor in the IDF. He is a highly decorated officer, but also a 10-times national jiu-jitsu champion, four-time European champion, and a Pan America gold medalist. Today, we'll be talking about what it takes to become a commando fighter, what kind of physical and mental training you have to go through to achieve such a high standard. Join us. Sagi. Yes. Welcome. Always a pleasure having you on a cup of coffee and talk. Pleasure to be here. Um, so I have a very long list of questions and uh, many of my students who knew that you were going to be hosted uh, on the podcast sent me a, a tremendous amount of uh, inquiries to like, how that's, uh, that episode is going to uh, look and sound like. Um, so first, for anybody who doesn't know you, because from, I guess from most of your life, you've been in the shadows, um, mm -hmm. I mean, the, a list of your experience in the fighting field and the combat world, um, and of course, in the Israeli military service. Uh, okay, what should I start with? Uh, I retired four months ago. Uh, I was serving as a head instructor, head Krav Maga and close combat instructor for the IDF special operations uh, units. Uh, a couple of units uh, between them is Sayeret uh, Matkal is the most uh, famous one and known one. Uh, other units I cannot mention, uh, but it's special ops. Uh, so basically that was my past uh, 15 years uh as as head instructor over there just doing combatives krav maga close combat uh integrative uh uh workouts uh functional training uh with shooting rifles guns sounds uh, like sounds like a lot of fun being in the office yes yes the dream <laughs> come true <laughs> and what do you do today? Uh, the same thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> in, reserve. As an in reserves, yes. Not as an officer, but in reserves. And I opened the company actually just uh, two days ago. Uh, with, Congratulations. Uh, yes. A couple of guys from my unit uh, that are retired as well. And we opened, we opened a company that, uh, is, that is doing uh, workshops. Uh, for resilience, it's called functional sort team, functional resilience, mm -hmm. and we are helping uh, whoever wants and has enough money 
to be more resilient uh, by training. By the training, we are uh, made up in the special ops, uh, and they can take those skills uh, and the models to the day-to-day -day life and to their workplaces, and uh, it will help them, help them be better people, help them make more money, <laughs> help so, them be better parents, hopefully. So you designed the, the training programs for the special ops and the Israeli Defense Force? Yes, exactly. Okay, and then so you're bringing that, uh, the, all the experience and uh, and the mindset into the civilian world into uh, workplaces and uh, and private uh, sector right yes 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 basically that's good that's better that's a better uh, phrasing <laughs> um so how did you get to be in a such a lucrative position in the ideas uh how uh by maybe being in the right place in the right time always have always helps by being uh good uh professional uh tell, tell me let's talk, let's talk let's <laughs> talk about that yeah you know my father always say you need you need one milligram of uh, luck for every kilogram of brain but uh yes but when you say you know being good and being professional what does it mean to you uh well i've been doing martial arts in krav maga all my life uh i've been on the mat i've been rolling i've been training i've been studying martial arts functional self-defense practical self-defense i've been i've been studying it watching videos watching realistic video videos uh for the past I don't know, since since the, the internet started, since there were uh, video ca cameras uh, on every corner. We met a couple of times lately. I showed you, I get like maybe, I don't know, 50 videos from around the world every day of crime, of, of uh, murderers, of attacks, of terror attacks, of all kinds of attacks. And and I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to watch it a couple of times and to analyze it and see what was been what 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 was good what was bad how can I how can I uh, adapt what what I saw to my training to my skills and to what I train see what works how people react. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you also have a lot of information from the Secret Service and from your own unit and, uh, you know, all the videos that are not leaking into the, uh, to the web as those exactly. are con confidential. Exactly. exactly. I go and gather them every day. I take the, the cameras from the helmets, body cameras, all sorts of cameras, and I just analyze it all day. Now, so in your opinion, because you're you're teaching soldiers and you're the soldier the type of soldiers that you're teaching are the the diamonds of of the military right they those are like the absolutely the the elite fighters with the the super sharp brain and super strong body and in the right age and the right mindset and 
they've done so much work to be where they are. So it's not accidental that they are in a commander unit, right? So you exactly. absolutely get the, the best, the top of the top, and you get to work with them, um, you know, in a, in a very intimate way for probably quite a long time. Um, what do you think is the difference that between the close combat that you present in the military to self-defense that you would teach in the civilian world, if you believe there's any dif differences? Uh, there are, of course, a lot of differences. It depends who I train. It depends if they're uh, buds, if they just join the unit and they have the whole the whole way. They have like uh, more than two years ahead of them of just training to be a part of the unit and to be uh, operators. So that's I start from the basic basic training. I I train them. From from uh, from the basic combat stance to movement to basic boxing to basic jujitsu to basic wrestling to basic uh, judo throws self defense just the basic of the basic of the basic because not a lot of them if any of them come from a martial arts background. Uh, they do a lot of sports, but not much martial arts. Uh, today, maybe more because the MMA is more popular. Jiu-Jitsu is more popular. Uh, maybe 20 years ago, it was mainly uh, judo. If, if, if they came from, from combat sports, it was judo. Uh, but they're basically uh, runners, navigators. Athletes. Uh, athletes exactly athletes and and the the nice the nice kind the good guys yeah not the bad not the bad guys so so they have a lot of a lot of catching up to do yeah so how do how do you instill the mindset and how much emphasis you put on mindset versus technique mm, that's that's one of the most uh important questions and mindset is I think one of the most important parts of the training. Of course, it comes with the technique, but the mindset has to be there. You have to be in in the right mindset set to be a fighter, to know how to react, uh, to be cool in tough situations. And you know that the elite fighters, special operations, you know, they do according to... According to uh, the media, overseas media, they they do a lot of operations far, far away in enemy territories uh, for weeks. They have to be super cool and uh, to wait for the right moment to act. Uh, so, so mindset is is basically. Uh, the the biggest part of the training but through krav maga and through the technique i bet uh you know i would assume that uh, their hand-to-hand -hand combat is a lot more significant than than other combat units um as they are not always they probably are in concealed weapons and uh sometimes uh you know 
undercover, so cannot be uh, seen. So they're integrated in the in civilian populations, so they have to rely on their physical hand-to-hand -hand combat skills a lot more than the gun. Exactly. Not everybody, but you know, depends on your position. But of course, uh, so it, I'm continuing the answer from before about the difference training, and I told you about the buds and the two two years of training. But then we have the operators, uh, the older ones who went through all 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 the way and became operators. So uh, with them, I'm doing functional training, functional operational training. I get to know what the operation is, what the goal is, what they're gonna find on the way, on the way there or over there, where they need to be, and then I I start analyzing what they have to do, and uh, what are uh, the dangers they're gonna find, and it's very functional. It's very we do models exactly of what I think they're going to see over there, uh, considering what the intelligence tells us. Now, in Krav Maga, in a, in a civilian world, and also, in, like, generally speaking, in the, even in the military, in, like, uh, say, like, normal units, not in the, the super high elite, um, the intent is always minimum damage required, right? Which I assume, like, morally is, like, you still aligns with what you do. But sometimes the minimum damage required when you're undercover, when you are a few uh, hundred miles away from uh, home base, the minimum damage required should be making someone silent and perhaps you know sending them to to a better place because that will be the minimum damage required to keep your own safety. Which exactly. in, in the West you, Bank, you, you said it. Yeah, as we <laughs> you, say, you, you can deny, you can deny or confirm. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Um, so is there somewhat, uh, a minimum damage required that will spare, you know, your enemies, uh, enemy's life, or if there's any interaction, uh, you are immediately go for elimination. Uh, tough question. It depends what operation, where it's, uh, being held around the world. But you can assume that uh, for special operations and for uh, uh, undercover, uh, you know, it depends on the situation. I always tell the operators, I'm giving you the tools. I'm giving you all the tools you need. But uh, on the D-Day, you have to choose what tool uh, to use. You're over there. You're doing the job. You encounter the danger. You know the best. You have to make the decision. Is it to eliminate him as soon as possible? Is it to shut his mouth and, 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 and hide him somewhere? Is it to tie him up? Is it to knock him out? Is it to uh, uh, choke him out? They have many skills, many tools, but... They have to decide. And sometimes, you know, it's not even their decision. It's the decision is is high up. Right. They're right. executors. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But, and, you know, e even though they're over there, they know they see the danger. They see the 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 white in the eyes. 
Yes, of of the enemy, and they have to to choose what weapon to to take out. I mean, they have to be tremendously skilled um, in order to do that work, you know, in the most clean way, most precise way. Um, and I'm sure that they've gone through through a lot of protocol training, and then you keep on, uh, you know, revising the the plan nonstop. And the military has protocols for absolutely everything. Um, and you know, we know that the man on the ground by the end of the day has to make that decision. But um, did it ever happen to you when you had a protocol, you trained people for a long time based on a certain protocol, and then something happened in one operation that made you change the protocol completely or partially yeah. that uh, realized that uh, uh, you have to change the whole uh, protocol for the maybe the whole Israeli army? Mm. You're asking good questions. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. I know it's, conf it's confidential. So whatever uh, you can answer and what you cannot answer, it's okay. Yes. According to the media, again, foreign media and what <laughs> was published, uh, there was one uh, bad operation. Of course, we know about, always we know about bad operations because the good ones we never hear about. And that's the way it's supposed to be special operations. You, don't, you can't hear about it. If you hear about it, then something went wrong. Right. Uh, so uh, there was one a couple of years ago, uh, and uh, I don't know if you heard about it, but you can watch uh, about Khan uh, uh operation that went wrong. Uh, we had uh, uh, a high ranked officer uh, dead, died, but the rest of the team. Uh, was able to come back uh, to our borders. Uh, but yes, then we had to change a lot of the protocols. Uh, maybe you can watch it on the internet and then you'll find out more about what happened over there. But uh, for me saying more about what was changed, it was, yeah. of course, I, ca I cannot say, but Use your imagination. Yeah. Watch the movies. <laughs> no, I, I did study that uh, that case study quite a lot. And and funny enough, you know, when Fauda season three came out, came out just just a little bit after the uh, this uh, incident happened, and they even uh, Leo Raz was uh, interviewed in the in the media. Said I I couldn't believe that we wrote a script that was so close to what mm -hmm. happened in reality. Um, exactly. Yeah, there's certain things better to be not spoken and and to be in the, you know, in the not known, uh, so people can sleep at night. Uh, yes, and 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 first of all, the the operators and their families, right, have to be stay stay safe and feel safe. So that's the first concern. For sure, and you know, there's uh, I feel like that that the whole country, perhaps even the whole world, is at oh. It ought to these commando fighters, uh, not just in the Israeli army, of course, in uh, any army that is fighting for justice and fighting for peace. Um, and there is a, this common notion around people who never served that that you know that there's a an overuse of force 
and uh, you know soldiers are uh, you know killing needlessly or or hurting innocent people and uh, i i personally completely disagree with that as i was a part of the idf and uh, i experienced myself situations that how they're being portrayed in the media and how they really uh, panned out was extremely different and you know sometimes the situation you're like you're no matter what you do you're going to have a problem if you respond you have a problem if you don't respond you also have a problem um and uh, there's there's a lot of the uh, issue with uh, the use of force um and uh, coming from a highly ranked officer uh, as yourself if you can talk a little bit about the the morality of the idf and uh, the choices that we make around the uh, use of force i would appreciate it and i'm sure that it will be new to a lot of people that uh, have those uh, uh, opinions based on uh, cnn and uh, and public media that uh, are not uh, fond of uh, our people mm. so first of all uh you know you can say i'm biased but the idf is the most moral army in the world you know it, and of course what's portrayed in the media is is not the reality the reality is is so complicated and and the internet and and what you can do with it today is so complex and you know the the, the fake news that you can make with an iphone and with is is so tremendous that today you you can't believe anything you see yeah it's, they it's, say that if you are if you're watching the media you're misinformed if you're not watching the media you're uninformed yes it's it's crazy what what you know what what people can can do and how they can uh change people's perspective by just you know posting a fake photo uh but as 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 a person who's there for many years and has been to many places uh injunctions that there was decision making to do and it was uh either doing uh, having an operation a successful operation and maybe hurting uh someone innocent or a kid or a wife uh 99% of the times the operation was canceled uh and there's many talk inside the army and by operators that sometimes they feel as as if their lives are are less important than the enemy's lives and innocent enemy lives because they have to go by foot into houses where they are uh uh terrorists inside shooting at them while the army can just you know send a missile and blow up the, the whole floor maybe someone else will be hurt but we don't do that and and we send combat soldiers inside by foot just to make sure no one innocent is hurt so 100 uh the most moral army in the world maybe too moral uh and of course it's not what's what's portrayed 
in the international media. Uh, that's that's my two cents. Yeah, I think you know we're at the point that no matter what we do, we're going to be judged by the media. So we may as well just do what's right for uh, for democracy and for what is right. Exactly, and and what's right for our our soldiers and for our country. Yeah, um, I want to divert a bit because I know that we're getting into subjects that are a bit uh, confidential and uh, and difficult to talk about because of, especially because of your position and involvement. Um, so. I would mention that also you, if I remember correctly, you have a black belt from uh, uh, Gracie. Uh, it's uh, not from Gracie, uh, but uh, oh, from it's Marcelo Garcia. I have my Marcelo uh, Garcia, uh, right? Yes. And and so you are also an expert in the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I've seen you in New York a couple of times. Also coming here to compete. Yes. Um, I had the pleasure of uh, watching you kick some ass, um, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I want to talk for a second about the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, instructors who often, when they teach self-defense, they tend to take all the situations to the ground. And usually these people that, you know, coming, getting to a black belt or a brown belt, they spend on the mat hundreds, if not thousands of hours. They know what they're doing. They're very good at what they do. Um, and they're that 1%, maybe less than 1% of the people that started training in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I have tremendous respect to, to this sport, but I, I always tell people that, you know, the difference between Brazilian a black belt and a white belt. <laughs> I, I just made, I made, I made a, a video yesterday, last night, just, I was uh, pl playing with, with, with the video, video editing app. So I made a short video and it was, one of my students was asking me what's the difference between a white and a black belt. And you know, the answer, the famous answer is a black belt is a white belt that never stopped coming to class, never stopped rolling, never stopped practicing. True. Uh, I always say that, you know, I always say that the, the only difference is the color because I, yes. I realize how much I don't know when I reach the black belt. So, mm -hmm. uh, but a, 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 another saying is, is a belt is, is only there to hold your pants up. Exactly. <laughs> but when, when we're looking at the approach to self-defense, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructors often, um, bec because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu have such a conviction, right? You, you, you train and you win or you lose, so you know who is the best, you know what technique works for you. Um, and um, I wonder what is your take on that? If you can enlighten me, if I, if I see something that maybe uh, perhaps you can, you can make it look a little differently than the more I see. So the question is what? The question is the approach of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructors of, uh, that every situation should end on the ground. Hmm. Uh, and, and my argument is that it should not end on the ground. It ends on the ground when things fail. In fact, in the timeline, we didn't end up doing what we should be doing. That's not the simplest thing, right? Because when you teach self-defense, especially when you teach soldiers, you don't teach them to start falling on the ground. You teach them how to disengage. And as you are also teaching uh, uh, the fighting with weapons, and, uh, and we can get into that uh, right after mm. this question, like how we move from hand-to-hand okay, -hand combat to use of, uh, of uh, warm weapons. Right? So, so, so as a guy who comes... Uh, I got it. So as a guy who comes from uh, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, I've been doing uh, jiu-jitsu for uh, almost 20 years, one of the first ones uh, in Israel. Uh, 
so I come from jujitsu, and as I said, I do functional Krav Maga. I do functional uh, close combat, and I never, almost never teach self-defense that should end on the ground. Almost never. Uh, unless you need to control someone. That's unless you need to control someone, of course, unless you need to uh, take him down and arrest him and handcuff him. Uh, that's something something different. That's that's one of the one of the uh, only times you, you you do take him down. Uh, but otherwise, you you never want to be at a disadvantage on the ground. You never want to be on your back. As good as as a martial artist and a, a jiu-jitsu player you are, uh, you never want to be on your ground because you never know who's going to come, what weapon he has, if he has a bat, if he has a gun, if he has a knife. Uh, you never want to be in a disadvantage. If you do, if you're in uh, a cage and you fight cage fighting, uh, or, or you're on a mat and you're in a tournament. That's something else, but self-defense, Krav Maga, uh, unless you get taken down or you fall to the ground, you will never, uh, uh, you will never uh, take it by yourself uh, and initiate the takedown, the ground. So, that brings me to an interesting question because you know NYPD, uh, even Marine Corps. Um, I know that they are training Krav Maga kind of unofficially, but because um, I, I personally trained some of those units myself, but uh, it's always unofficially and the most official uh, training system for them is like kind of, they call it combatives and it's like it's a mixture of striking and jujitsu. Um, how does it work? And I'm, I'm actually curious because I'm sure you also work with these units um, and not just uh, in, in Israel, but all around the world. When someone, when a soldier has a, an M4 and a vest and grenades and explosives on him, and he's, they are training them to take a fight to the ground. It's pretty impossible to roll around with all this equipment, especially if the equipment also weighs around 50, 60 pounds. It is possible when you train it, and when you train with the vest on and with the rifle on and with the helmet on, and you practice it, and you train it, and you train it every week, and it becomes a part of, of, of your skills. But to take someone without the vest and train him, then it's difficult. You have to make it practical. And, you know, so many things can go wrong. But still, taking someone down and controlling them is a possibility. Controlling, yes, but not rolling around, right? Like no, not... Not, not rolling around, going for submissions, no. The most, maybe the most common uh, technique I do is just uh, rear naked choke. I would yeah. control someone by, by a rear naked choke. If I see someone attacking someone, I will come from behind and rear naked choke him. I will choke him unconscious. I will take him off by the choke, by the neck. That leads me to an interesting question. I'm not sure how aware uh, uh, you are in the, the news in, the, in New York City. Like last week, there was an, an American Marine veteran who uh, 
choked on the subway. Yeah, he choked someone on the subway. As I told you, I'm very much on the... Yeah. I I got the video maybe, I don't know, a half an hour after it happened. (laughs) And there's a lot of activists that the first thing that they... I did an analysis of this uh, situation and I had uh, posted uh, this on on our Kramaga Experts blog. Um, And I got some uh, responses from the NYPD and they from uh, friends who serve and, and they told me like you, you're spot on you got everything right um, just based on the little information that I got in the media and my experience you know when situations as such but coming from someone like you I would like to hear your analysis of the situation and, and because of that there's a lot of people that have absolutely no experience talk with so much conviction about what happened there and you know the guy choked him for 15 minutes and then say three minutes and like there's a lot of unclarity about what really happened there and of course the media has their own way of portraying it and and they and they attribute intent to kill which in fact i don't believe it but um i would i would still leave it to you i do believe that there's an excessive force that is is being used but i don't think that was any intent and uh and some interesting conversations I had around the, this t- topic, people said, oh, this is not a killing, that's a murder. Or some, some, some others said, no, he's a hero and he was, he's a protector and he's wired to defend everyone. And that's why you know, he stepped in and, and he did what he did. Um, so coming from, uh, from your perspective, it will be interesting to hear your analysis. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I've been watching the video and uh, as you said, and think i don't think there's intent uh i think there's not enough uh professionality i think he's he's not he's not a professional he's not uh he's not professional enough in what he's doing of course i i think that you don't even need 15 minutes to kill someone to choke someone to death uh you need uh three minutes uh even less i can choke someone unconscious in i don't know four seconds and uh if i keep on holding the choke then he'll probably probably die in like uh in two minutes uh if he's unconscious and i'm continuing to to choke him then i think it will take about two minutes so you don't need 15 minutes but uh if you're a professional, you know that you don't need to hold someone unconscious and to keep on choking him when he's unconscious. But when you're not a professional and you haven't been training it every day on the mat and you have been choked out by someone and you know the feeling and you know how it feels in your arms, you know, I don't need someone to tap. I always tell my students and and, and, and my soldiers, I don't need someone to tap. I know... I know a second before he taps, I know he's going to tap. I know I have the submission. Sometimes he doesn't tap, and I, and I release the submission. I release the choke because I know he's supposed to tap, and he's not tapping, he's going to hurt himself. So if you're a professional, you know when you have the choke on, you know you can kill someone if you hold the choke for two or three minutes. But I've been watching it. I think he was acting out of self-defense. I think a lot of people are watching videos, seeing martial arts, seeing the basic stuff. I see arrays of incidents of even robberies 
being committed by a rear naked choke. Robbers will come up to people from behind, rear naked choke them unconscious, and steal their wallets and their and their iPhones and 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 uh, watches. I've seen I've seen many many clips and videos. It's interesting to see that there's uh, the information today is a lot more available for even the bad guys. You know, 10, 15 years ago, people who were trained were people that were actually went out and, and, and uh, were seeking for training. And like you have to find a legit place and go and, and, and train it for a while. Today, information is available in the palm of your hand. Everybody can learn something even on YouTube. Um, and I, I always said that I'm, I'm more scared of the crazy person with the purpose than someone who is trained because exactly. someone, someone who is trained, assuming that they have some uh, moral standards, they will not go all the way and they will never instigate, they will never start the fight. But people that uh, have the ability to fight and they are not afraid because they, they are crazy, they, they don't have a, a kind of morality that tells them, okay, this is too much. Right? They would go more and more and more until they, they win. And if you fight for real, winning is when, you, when the other person is like knocked out completely or maybe, maybe worse. Um, and that's, a, that's always a scary thing. So, and, and there's also in, in the martial art community, I have a lot to say about this community, but uh, for good and for bad. Um, you know, we, we often train without consequences. So, People that believe that they have skills when, in fact, when they, when they meet that uh, high level of pressure, they, they find out that they actually don't. They don't know how to respond to so, uh, so much pressure and to someone who is uh, not allowing them to finish the technique as they know it. Um, and uh, many times you see people getting their ass kicked even though they trained for five, six years. And it doesn't matter if the trainer is completely legit or not because you get out of it what you put into it. So it depends on how aggressive you're willing to, to take the training. Um, and while you're doing it, you also want to be safe, right? You still have a day job. You still have a, a family. You still, you know, you don't want to be injured all the time. So that's why yeah. you know, the few people who are trained uh, and trained well, uh, they, they can really deal with, with crazy. And that's why, you know, soldiers, as an example, there's a, they, there's a lot less liability training soldiers because they know, you know, they, they know what they're uh, up against. Um, and the training is supposed to bring them to that level. But when people are training and they don't have this uh, understanding of what is really the level of pressure that they have to deal with, they will always be in shock when they, when they encounter that. Um, that's why they, we're trying to simulate training as close as possible to reality and go back to the discussion we had before about mindset. I think the mindset is way more important. Because the crazy person from the, you know, from the rough neighborhood, he already understands the mindset. For him, that's not a problem. That's, that's, what, that's why I opened the company that is <laughs> doing resilient workshops. Resiliency, that's all we do. We, we train people to be resilient. Resilient. Because uh, that's, for us, that's the most important thing in life, to be resilient, to come up, uh, to raise up, rise up in, in, in bad situations. That's the meaning of, of, of resilience, coming out better in, in bad situations. And we always talk about the switch, going from zero to 100 in a millisecond, knowing how to, to you know, game on the second you need to. 
you know, just from from uh, uh, from being uh, a regular civilian in the streets to being a killer in a millisecond. So that's where a lot of people, you know, coming from, like I, you know, I'm based in New York City and and Upper West Side. A lot of people are. Um, extremely democratic, and and I'm not I'm not against any opinion, not to the right or to the left, unless they're radicals, um, because I think the the truth somewhere lies in the in between. But they are completely against violence, right? And a lot of them will not seek for self defense training, just because they don't want to associate themselves with any of these moves, right, or movements, or the mindset, because they say I'm a peaceful person, I'm a hugger. Okay, you want to tell me that you're going to suggest a hug to someone who has a, a knife to your throat? I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right technique. Where I come from, that doesn't work. Um, and they don't understand that the training self-defense is not a luxury. It's a must-know must and must-have skill. And exactly. uh, if, if, you, if you have the luxury of, of just being a badass just because you want to, that's great, but nobody, I don't know anybody that uh, gone through a catastrophe that, that was ready for the catastrophe, right? Nobody wakes up and says, ah, today is my day. Today I'm going to have a car accident. Today I'm going to have, a, you know, someone is going to punch me in the face out of the blue. You know, there's a, saying, there's a saying, if you don't believe in violence, get ready to hide behind someone who does. Exactly. Because <laughs> you're going to find violence. You're going to find crime. You're going to find... In your lifetime, something bad is going to happen to you, to your family, to your kids. Everyone encounters it. Encounters, so, you know. And then they, when I say this, people say that I'm uh, that I, I speak uh, from a, maybe from a place of uh, coming from a rough background in Israel. And my, I, I simply say that it doesn't matter if it happened to you or maybe will never happen to you, right? It's a matter of, of being ready. Being ready when for it happens, it, if right? it happens. Yes. It's it's not about because if it happens, it's not your choice. It happens because because many things that was no no longer under your control, and you today you were chosen. Today it's you. So that's you know it's like a Russian roulette, and today was you. And if you don't I, know how I, to leave the situation I, safely, yeah. then you're gonna you're gonna end up with a trauma for the rest of your life if you get to survive it. I say you have the two must things you have to teach your kids. Is swimming and self-defense. Yeah, and I, I always have a saying when I explain to parents. It's like you, I, I ask them and I ask people that, you know, they're completely uh, opposing to self-defense. And say so like, do you know how to swim? And they say, yes, 95% of the time. And they're like, why do you know how to swim? Like, of course, I don't want to drown, you know, in case I get in new water. So like, but... You can always choose when you go near water. It's not, waters don't chase you, right? You don't exactly. have to go to the beach or you don't have to go to the pool. But violence has a way of finding you. And if you don't know how to float when, when violence comes, good luck. Because yes. not everybody that learned how to swim is a swimmer and not everybody that learned how to fight is a fighter. But, you know, if you learn how to swim and there's a big tsunami, good luck. Doesn't matter if you're Michael Phelps, you're still not going to uh, be able to survive it. And same thing if you're uh, whatever, Conor McGregor, and you have a bunch of like whatever, 15 guys coming to beat you up, good luck. So it's not about training to the extreme. It's about being ready for, for the day-to-day, 90, for the 95% of the time. 
Yeah. And if you're able to, pre to prevent that 95% of the time, the 5% of the extreme cases are also less likely to happen to you because of your level of awareness. But, and, and, and being ready is 95% of the job. Right? The skill is, comes uh, after. Is being ready for, for me, is, uh, as, as I always say, being ready, of course, learning and practicing martial arts, uh, Krav Maga self-defense, but being ready for me, I always say, the first lesson I give is, is situational awareness. That's the first lesson and the most important, important skill I give everybody who I teach is situational awareness, looking around, seeing if there's anything out of order, you know, that comes your way. Uh, I also talk about that when I talk about situational awareness, people forget that they are a part of the situation. It's like how you are being seen, how you, how you walk, how you look around. That exactly. You are contributing a lot to the situation. The way, the way you are seen is, is a message in the situation and people tend to forget that they keep on looking at left and right and they're like hypervigilant, but they look like they are super afraid. So of course now you are drawing fire. So again, that's one of one of the first lessons I give my soldiers is you know, and the first questions I've been asked is you know, how many times have you been into a real life fight, not in the, not in the cage or on the mats? How many times? And I tell them and I ask them, you know what the answer is? And they all say, oh, yeah, five, ten, and I say zero, zero times, because. I don't get into those situations. No one is going to attack me if I look like I'm in control, if I look like I'm confident, if I walk up with my head up, my eyes up, I'm ready for whatever is going to come. I look, I don't have to look aggressive, but I have to look like I'm in business. I don't have to look strong. You know, I have to hold my head up, my shoulders high and straight, you know, the way I walk, the way, the way I talk, the way, yeah, the, the way I hold your, myself. Yes. It affects your hormones, right? It even affects exactly. your brain because you immediately, when you project confidence, you become more confident and, and people underestimate that. Um, and, you know, I always tell people you become what you do. So if you walk like a strong man, you become a strong man. And if you sit uh, you know, with like slouching forward and, and, uh, and mumble with your voice and nobody can understand what you're saying. Naturally, that's also what's going to happen, right? You become what you do. So if you practice this, uh, only good things will come out of it if you, if you practice being strong. Exactly. Right? And being strong is, is a matter of, of having a choice when to exercise strength. Because when you're weak, you don't have a choice. You have only one option. And that's not a choice. Yes. Sagid, is there anything that I didn't ask and I should have asked uh, about your background, about your uh, training style or anything else that uh, you would want to share? Hmm. Uh, tricky question. <laughs> anything I want to share? Uh... Tell us a little bit about your company. How, uh, how uh, can one find you guys? Who is on the board of the company? I'm sure that the people are, will be very pleased and interested to know uh, about your business partners as well, because not only that you have a very impressive background, um, these people as well are very special. Yes. Uh, 
So uh, the company is was open just you know last week. Uh, so uh, it's really really new. We have already a couple of of workshops ordered for the next month. Uh, we're looking for uh, companies abroad, uh, or maybe in the states, uh, so we can come over. Uh, the two guys that are working with me are uh, two lieutenants from Sayyid Matkal, from the Special Operations uh, Unit. Uh, one was a team leader and a head of the uh, all the uh, he was a, cons a consultant and head of the anti-terror uh, uh, field. And uh, one is is a lieutenant colonel, colonel, uh, and he's the head trainer, uh, and he's doing all the crisis management negotiations uh, and stuff. And I'm doing basically the Krav Maga and the the martial arts part. Uh, so we actually we teaching teaching uh, people how to uh, self how how to self-defense themselves uh, and we're giving them tools and those tools we show how they can apply them to the day-to-day -day life to work uh, uh, and to become better people better uh, employees uh, that's basically basically the company we're opening a site we're on Instagram and on Facebook it's called sort team with one T, Special Operations Resilience Team. So it's S-O-R Team. Uh, and the logo is Functional Resilience. Very nice. Thank you very much again for uh, being here with me and uh, sharing all your uh, very valuable uh, information. And I look forward to seeing you in New York very soon. Yes, us. thank you. Stay safe. Thank you, my friend. Be strong. Talk soon. Bye-bye.